Uh, you know, uh, this service, we, we had a baptism. We praise God for that and how God's changing a life. First service, we had five baptisms, and uh, we celebrated that and praise God for that. And then Wednesday, uh, Lexi Pulsifer came down and was baptized as well. So can we praise God for, for all the baptisms? And we do want to say a special welcome to you today, specifically on this day. And we're glad you're here because today is really a special day. And it's a day to say thanks to the Lord, thanks to God, because as was just mentioned, it was 15 years ago that this church was launched. And we launched the church over at Elliott Ranch Elementary School on the opposite end of town by the 5 Freeway. And our church was built upon a vision of a, to be this growing community of Jesus followers who would relentlessly pursue life to the fullest the way Jesus intended. And we just wanted to point as many people as possible to life in Jesus. That was rooted in scripture. It was rooted in what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life to the full. And along with that vision, we had a rally cry here. It was Psalm 115, verse 1, where it says, Not to us, Lord, but to your name be the glory. And man, we had banners that were on the stage with, with those words on it. We talked about it all the time, not to us, but to your name. In fact, it's why we chose to sing that song this morning. Not to us must have been sung a thousand times in those first couple years. So yes, I, I admit it was some serious throwback music there, right? It was, it was like the OG song, A Life Point. Not to us, but to your name, God, be the glory. It reminds me also of Isaiah chapter 26, verse eight, 8, which says, Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. As the NIV translation says, Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. And so we've been pursuing life to the fullest in Jesus by seeking to glorify his name and his renown. And we've been celebrating and praising God today specifically for him faithfully changing our lives, changing so many lives for 15 years. See, it's been 15 years of lives being changed by God. I started thinking about that and, and, and looked back over, over our numbers at LifePoint. And in 2003, our first year, at the end of the first year, we averaged just over 200 people at LifePoint. Then eight years later in 2011, it was slow, slow, steady growth. And we averaged 335 people. By 2016, though, as Dan kind of mentioned, it almost doubled to 668 people as our average attendance. And then this year in 2018, We've been averaging 793 people who are attending each and every week here at LifePoint. And I think about that also, and uh, I think we even get a better picture of the numbers as we look at Easter and Christmas when, you know, everybody really gathers together. And this last Easter, we had 1,216 people here. And at Christmas, we had 1,296 people. Now, you might be thinking, as I just said that, you know what? We've never talked about numbers here. Church doesn't do that. We, and and I've got to tell you, you're right. We don't talk about numbers. We, we prefer to talk about being faithful to God and leaving the harvest up to the Lord. But I started thinking about it this week. And the reality is numbers do matter. And let me explain why. Every single number, 
every attendance in this auditorium with our LP students, with our LP kids, every single number has a name. And every single name has a story. Did you catch that? Every single number has a name, and every single name has a story. By the way, numbers are so important to God that he decided to name a book of the Bible by it, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers. Every name represents a story, and specifically a story of a changed life in Jesus. So today, we're just here this morning, and we want to sit here and stand here and say, God, thank you. We praise you, and we celebrate you, God, for 15 years of changing lives. And so I want to ask you a real personal question this morning. Would you consider yourself counted among those whom Jesus has changed your life? Or is Jesus just sort of a little addition into the context of your complex life? Has Jesus changed your life? Because the reality is Christianity is fundamentally a changed life, isn't it? The change or transformation of a Christian starts with you and I turning from our sin and turning to God. The Bible uses a word it's called for what that is, and it's called repentance. That God changes us radically at the moment of our salvation with a brand new life. The Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 this way. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. But repentance isn't a one-time event. It happened at the moment you got saved. A radical change at salvation is then followed by a lifetime of changing and being transformed more into the image of Christ. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look together at Ephesians chapter 4, which describes this change. If you haven't turned there yet, please do so now. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that this passage that we look at this morning and as we talk about changed lives and what God's been doing, I hope it serves as an encouragement for you, but also a challenge for you as each of us intentionally pursue the changed life and the transformed life in Jesus. Now, let me throw this out to you. Somebody was talking to me after, after the service this week and just talking about the richness of what we're talking about. And, and, and I, I shared some thought, and, and, and the person was like, this is so important, it's so critical, this is like foundational for us. And so uh, in light of that conversation, it made me think, and we were talking, and, and so I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, uh, put on, maybe on an extra dose, put on your thinking cap. Or as uh, one of my uh, professors in college used to say, put on your Ph.D. thinking cap. And, and as we kind of soak this in and absorb it, because this is where it all starts with us. This is what our faith is all about, which is talking about our changed life. So let's dive into this together. Ephesians 4, start in verse 17. Paul's going to describe to you and I the person who hasn't yet been changed by God. Look at how he describes them. He says in verse 17, Ephesians 4, in the futility of their thinking... They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the what? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So Paul starts off and said, this is what your life looked like before you were a Christ follower. But then he draws a sharp contrast. You ready for this? And this verse, these verses are so rich. He says, verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you learned about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth, that is in Jesus. With the what? What does it say? With the truth that is in Jesus. The verse is loaded. Let's, let's try to break it down a little bit. The changed life begins for you and I when we come to know Jesus 
personally. That phrase, the way of life you learned, is actually better translated to learn Christ. In other words, Paul is saying it's not learning about Christ. Rather, being a Christ follower is knowing Jesus personally. Sure, we need to know the facts of Jesus and the facts of the gospel message that Jesus came to die for our sins and he covered our sin. And if we would trust in him and believe in him, we'd have eternal life. Absolutely, we want to know those facts. But it's possible, isn't it, to know all about Jesus, to know all the facts about Jesus and not know him personally. Isn't that possible? That you can have the head knowledge, right? You can know all about him. Jesus prayed in John 17, 3. He said this, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When Jesus was talking about knowing, he wasn't talking about the knowing like is described in James chapter 2, verse 19. It says the demons in that passage, they know all about God, but they shudder. They know more than you will ever know on this side of heaven about God. They know all the facts, but they haven't been changed or transformed by the information. The changed life begins by coming to know Jesus personally. And that is built on the truth that salvation is found only in Jesus. Look at how verse 21 states it. Ephesians 4, 21, But you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Why is it that God wants us to think about the truth that is in Jesus? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a 20th century uh, preacher and teacher. He was a strong voice of the evangelical church of, of the 20th century. He says it this way. He says, the Christian is not saved by a philosophy of redemption. He is saved by the historic person, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God. He says that all the world's major religions, they are built around teachings and ideas. He says, the sh in sharp contrast, the truth of the gospel is rooted in certain facts that happened in history, in the historical person of Jesus, crucified and then risen from the dead. See, Paul's point for you and I this morning is that a changed life stems from the transformation that God is working in us through the historical facts of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the Christ. And so when you and I, when we personally meet that historical Jesus, our lives are changed in a moment. And Paul's going to then go on to describe those changes. He's going to say, listen, the moment that you trusted in Jesus, that old life of ours was set aside, laid aside. And now we've put on a new life. And then he's going to talk about then each day we pursue that new life in Jesus in practical ways. So let's look at how he describes it. Look at Ephesians 4.22. The changed life for you and I, it starts with knowing Jesus personally, and then it talks about putting off the old self. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. He's describing what our old self looked like before we were saved in Jesus. Uh, the Bible goes on in other places and talks about putting to death, putting off this old life. Romans 8, 13 says, if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. Colossians 3, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, this is interesting. This is where I'm going to ask you to think about this for a moment with me and, and really dial in on this. 
The Bible tells us to put off, put off, put off the old self. The, you know, let it die, let it die. Let that old self be put off. And yet the Bible also says this, that the moment we got saved, our old self actually died. Now, if you're a little bit confused right now, hang with me, because I was too. The Bible says, put off, put off your old self, put it off, put it off. But yet the Bible also says when you became a Christian, your old self died. Romans 6, 6 says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Paul refers to the old self as an accomplished fact. He's clearly stating that the old life, the old self, it's a done deal. So why do we need to put off the old self if the old self is already dead? I don't understand that. Guess what? Neither have teachers, theologians, and pastors for 2,000 years. They've been trying to figure that out. And everybody tries to figure out ways to describe it. I think a simple way for you and I to understand this is that every day, to understand this paradox every single day, that we're called to, to apply experientially the facts that are true positionally. Did you catch that? That each and every day we seek to apply these truths experientially, practically in our lives, what is true positionally. You got saved in that moment positionally. The old self is dead and gone, and gone. But purposefully, intentionally, each day, we seek to experientially put off everything that is associated with that old self and put on Christ. Let me see if I can help us understand this a little bit better. So we got to witness a baptism here uh, in this service this morning. And what is baptism? You see, baptism is people being obedient to Jesus because Jesus told us to do this. That this is our way of declaring that the transformation and the change that happened in our hearts when we said yes to Jesus, when we put on faith, when we put on trust in him, what happened in our heart, it's our way of declaring that it's true. It's that public declaration of that tr truth. Now, over the years, uh, preachers, teachers uh, have kind of tried to uh, make light of baptism or they're trying to make a point sometimes. And they talk about baptism and they'll say things like this. Hey, I, a lot of times when people get baptized, it's, it's you're dying to your old self. And if, if, a teacher, if they're doing a certain sermon series, they'll say, you went into the waters of baptism. And when you went into the waters of baptism, you know, your whole old self, uh, the old self was laid aside and put to death. But so many people in the church, everything went into the waters of baptism but their wallet. And a preacher will use that as a way to talk about giving, right? And they'll say, so many people will give their life to Christ, but they will not give God their money or their tithe, right? And maybe you've heard that before. Uh, we've never used that kind of corny good joke here, but, but, you know, we, but that's the image. You know, I'm holding out everything of my old self, or I'm giving everything of my old self but not my wallet. Well, I'll say this. For Heather and I, we, we determined that all God was just going to always get our first tithe, our first fruit, our first 10% and then some, and we'll live off whatever's left no matter how hard it was. And it's been hard and it's been difficult, but by God's grace and faith, we've been able to not make that optional. God's provided for us, so we praise God for that. God got my wallet when I was baptized. That doesn't, isn't our story. But I think one of the parts that must have not made it into the waters of baptism for me is my right foot. Okay, from, it was my right foot. My right foot experientially is stuck in the old life. And I think it might be true of some of you. Let me explain. 
I was behind a vehicle going super slow. I was on Camera Road. Everybody know Camera Road? Coming from Bruceville, heading, you know, this direction. It's a long road. Speed limit's 55 miles an hour. And this person in front of me decided today's the day I go 30. And that's okay for like a quarter mile in a neighborhood. But it's a long run. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And I turn down the, the music and the radio. And, I, you know, I sit up in my seat. And, you know, I push the right foot down a little bit, got as close as I could to the person, hoping they'd see me in the back mirror and go, oh, yeah, it's 55. I should speed up and be respectful to everybody else behind me. And so this person wasn't catching it. In fact, I think they slowed down. Well, you know what happens on that road, right? And, 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 and it's going to eventually open up, but it's a two-lane uh, or it's a, it's, two, it's a two yellow lines, so you can't pass over. And i got to tell you, I was seriously tempted to say, forget that. I'm passing around this person. Luckily, I didn't do that. So uh, we kept going, and eventually opens up, right? And as it opens up, what did I do? I did what maybe some of you did. I slammed on the, pe the, right, the pedal, right? My foot went down. You felt the, the throat of the truck open up, and it just starts to take off. And then what do I do? What's my next goal? I'm going to go as fast as I can. I'm going to catch up to him, and I'm going to look and see who's in the car. Have you ever done it? Raise your hand. Let's be real. Okay. Thank you. I want to see who's in the car because I know who exactly who's in the car. I know exactly it's always the same. Every single time I look, and I look over there, and you're knowing who it is, right? I'm going to tell it, so we're going to be a really offensive here. Every single time I look, and there it is, exactly what I thought. I pull up, and I'm like, oh, they're human. <laughs> and in that moment, my judgmental heart of who I thought it was wasn't true. Some of you can relate, right? You're like, no, right? That no. The worst part in that moment, I pulled up and looked at that person, and I was like, oh, no, they go to our church. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I looked, and, and I put my head down, hit the right pedal, and I took off. Now, that's a part of the story I didn't tell you yet. I was on my way to church on a Sunday morning. I was singing praise songs to God up until I got stuck behind him going 28 miles an hour. I was practicing my sermon on patience. I don't know what the sermon was. But I saw him and I just, I looked, I felt so embarrassed and ashamed. And so if that was you, and you would know if it was you, I just got to say I'm sorry. Now, here's the bottom line. God changed me on the inside positionally, and I declared that publicly, demonstrating my inner commitment to Christ in baptism. But now I need to live out practically or experientially my salvation. My right foot needs to be baptized experientially. And I ask you, what part of your life hasn't truly been immersed in the waters of baptism? Experientially, it hasn't been lining up with the new life that we have in Jesus. Now, i got to tell you, as I tell that story, 
I really praise God that God is in the business of changing those fleshly parts of you and me. And I praise God that he hasn't given up on me or you in those practical mess ups of our life. Don't you praise God for that? Don't you say, thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you take the long view of our life. I praise God that he looks at me and he looks at you through the positional lens of free and forgiven in Jesus Christ. Did you track that? He looks at you and I. When you give your life to Jesus, he looks at us through the lenses of, oh, we're clean, we're free, we're forgiven. Paul wrote to some of the early Christians in Philippians 1, 6, and he said this about God. He said, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you and create, uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's not giving up on us. He's working on us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. And so God is calling you and I to put off the dirty clothes of sin and put on the clean clothes of righteousness and holiness. Why? Because he already freed us positionally. He set us free. And so our change experientially involves putting off that old self, that old way of thinking, that impatience, that for me in that situation, whatever the those thoughts I had, whatever it is, put that old self off. Now, I get it. We're talking about change. And when we talk about change, it's easy to say, well, that's great. God is changing us, and he's carrying it on to completion, and we kind of bank on that. And sometimes we just watch it, and it's so slow, and we're like, I don't really want to do my part in change. I get it. In fact, research tells us a majority of people don't like change at all. They're resistant to change. In fact, most people are actually wired against change. Some people are good with change, but most aren't. So I get it that change is difficult. And you know what happens? That carries over into our walk with Jesus. It's difficult for you and I to let go uh, of that which is familiar to us, our old self. It's hard to let go of that and to change, even when we know that the better is a that later or there is a preferred future, even when we know the new is better. I get it. Change is difficult. It's difficult for many reasons. Change is difficult because because of our built-in stubbornness. Has anybody ever tried to take a little toy away from a two-year-old? Like, you know, it's built in from like day one to them to, to, to be stubborn. So, stubborn. so it's a challenge for us because stubbornness is built into us. Change is also difficult because people get trapped. It's like the, the maybe you've heard this illustration before. It's like that monkey who sticks its hand uh, uh, into the trap and it grabs the, 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 the treat. And in, but then it tries to pull its hand out of the hole, out of the trap, but it can't because now its hand or fist or whatever is bigger than the, the hole in the trap. And all the monkey has to do is let go of that treat, and it can pull its hand out, but it can't because it won't let go of the treat. And so it has, in a sense, trapped itself because of its refusal to let go of the treat. Many, many Christians are trapped. Because they refuse to let go. They refuse to let go of their pride, of their stubbornness. They refuse to let go of, go of maybe some preferences they have or some opinions they have or anything that keeps them from life in Jesus. Change is difficult for us. I get it. It's also difficult because change uh, we like to, is, is makes us uncomfortable and we like to be comfortable. 
Did you know we love, change is hard because we like to be comfortable. Did you know some people today still use a rotary dial phone? Did you know that? Now, now don't raise your hand if you do, but, 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 but some do. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, why would anyone want to continue to use a piece of technology that is so inferior? Why? Because they're comfortable with it. It's familiar. They've mastered it. I mean, they learned how to stick that finger in that and just turn it and let go and watch the zero go back and stick in another finger and go. They were like, oh, we've mastered the finger and twist. They're good. Are there places like that in our spiritual lives for you? Absolutely. You and I get comfortable with our sins, and they keep us from knowing Jesus better. We maybe get comfort in a, in a, uh, comfortable in a standard of living, which keeps us from submitting to the mission of God for our life. As a total side note, I didn't mention this last word, but as a total side note, we're entering into a time in our economy right now. I was talking to somebody recently about the refis they do, and they're like, everybody's doing cash out right now. Everybody's doing cash out. I'm telling you right now, church, be careful. Be careful. I hope we learn. But everybody's like, man, I'm comfortable, and I want to be more comfortable. I want more. I want more. Be careful. But we're like, no, I like comfort. And so we go after that. Churches get comfortable with irrelevant practices and methods and strategies that aren't reaching the next generation of Jesus followers or people we're trying to reach for Jesus. It's hard to change when we're content with our comfort. Change is difficult for us because of our fear. Isn't that really one of the primary reasons we don't like to change is fear? And yet, our life in Jesus Christ is all about what? It's all about trust. It's all about faith in God and not knowing what's coming next. And so we understand that. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm involved in a faith that requires trust. And that makes me afraid. Not knowing what God will ask of us. And so that makes it difficult for some to change and fully embrace the new life that we inherited the day we got saved. Finally, change is hard because let's just face it, it hurts. It hurts. I mean, come on, isn't it true? It hurts to lose weight, right? That's not easy. It hurts to reorganize or overhaul our office or our house. It hurts to talk to a family member or a friend about something that's really important that we need to address. It hurts to correct our sinful behaviors. Yes, change is difficult, and God understands that. And so he reminds us, for example, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, listen, I understand that, God says, and I understand there's a spiritual battle going on in your life. And that's why he tells us that he who is in me, in us, is greater than he who is in the world. It's why he reminds us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. No, we have God's spirit. And that verse goes on and says, that spirit is a spirit of power of love, of self-discipline or self-control. And so Paul says the changed life, it means you put off the old self. You put off this old self. And there might be some challenges, but that's what we've been called to. And perhaps the biggest help in putting off the old self for you and I, it's what takes place in our mind and in our hearts. The biggest help is what takes place in your mind and in your hearts. The changed life pursues a renewal 
of our hearts and mind. Look at verse 23 in Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, We're to be made new in the attitude of your minds. One translation says your hearts and minds must be made completely new. Be renewed is what most translations say. I like what Pastor Larry Osborne, Pastor and author Larry Osborne said. He said this. He said, how we think impacts how we feel, which impacts what we do. How we think impacts how we feel, which impacts what we do. And so God is saying, putting off of the old self has everything to do with what's going on in here, with our minds. What do we dwell on? What do we think about? And God wants us to renew our minds because ultimately that will lead to our changed behavior. So he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 is probably the single best descriptor of what to do and think about in our minds. And it tells us, hey, you want to know what to do with your mind, what to think about? He says, here, I want you to think about whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's what you cling to. That's what you dwell on. That's what you think about. God is making it crystal clear to you and I, church. True change, biblical change, it doesn't bypass our mind. Decisions made on the basis of emotion they're not going to last. And they have great potential to lead us down the wrong path. I was listening to a podcast this week, uh, a guy by the name of Tim Sanifer, and he's an author and a constitutional lawyer, and, and, and he was sharing about his new book that he wrote on Frederick Douglass, and, and, and there was this dialogue going b- back and forth, and it was very interesting what was said in that. And as I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness, that quote right there, what he just said applies to us this morning. And I want you to hear what he said. They were talking about emotion, and he said this. He said, there are those who wring people's heart in an emotional way in order to overcome intellectual and logical objections. A common problem for us, we are swayed by our emotions and not our minds. You hear that? We are swayed by our emotions, not our minds. And those who would take our freedom away, and when he said that, I was like, oh, my, my ears perked up. Those who would take our freedom away. And you and I know, as we think about what he's saying through the lenses of our faith, who tries to take our freedom away? We know the Bible makes it clear. Three things try to take our freedom away. The devil or the evil one, right? Our old life, our sinful life, the old way of living, and the worldly ways, right? Think about this. He's saying, and I kind of brought that into what he was saying, and those who would take our freedom away, they capitalize on the emotion and exploit it to our detriment. And I just kept, I wrote that down, I listened to it, I've read it multiple times. Well, pastor, I don't feel like making a commitment. Pastor, I don't feel like being obedient to God in that particular area of my life. It doesn't feel right, pastor, to follow God in that specific issue or topic. I'll do all of those, but it doesn't feel right for my life. Your freedom in Jesus and in this life is being taken away from you, and oftentimes we don't even know it. Why? Because of our feelings. And there are those who would try to exploit those feelings and lead us to make unwise and ungodly decisions, and sometimes that's our own flesh, our old life. Sometimes it's the evil one. Sometimes it's the ways of the world. And God's saying, listen, I want to reason with you. That's what this passage is saying. I want to reason with you with what? With truth. 
and especially the truth of my word. And he knows, God knows, if you and I will set our minds and our hearts on the truth and dwell on it and think about it, we just read that in Philippians 8, that's ultimately going to lead to a transformed life. And so for you and I, the changed life, it comes by knowing Jesus personally, putting off the old life of corruption and deceit and emotional swaying, and by renewing our hearts and minds, and finally the changed life is, now you got to put on the new self. Now you got to put on the new self. Look at verse 24. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And put on, and what's the word? Put on the, what's the word? Put on the, thank you. It's easy answer the first time. Thank you. Put on the new self. How we think impacts how we feel which impacts what we do. At salvation, you and I put on the new self positionally. So practically or experientially, we are pursuing that positional truth the rest of our earthly lives. Now, here's what's cool. And I'm not giving you homework, but I'm really asking you to do this this week. Okay? And in the rest of this chapter, Ephesians 4, all of Ephesians 5, and the first part of Ephesians 6, it's all about what it looks like in your life to put on this new self. And if you will read that section, not through the lenses of, oh, this looks like a bunch of rules. Well, that's not good thinking. If you will read that through the lenses of Paul has just said to us, put off the old self, put on the new self. Now he's going to give us a whole bunch of examples. And it's incredible. And if you view it through the lenses of this is the life that I could live in Jesus Christ, the new self that I can experientially live out what happened to me, uh, you know, positionally when I became a Jesus follower and I gave my life to him through through the waters of baptism. And you look through that and it says things like this. It says in that passage, it says um, uh, one of the passages says when you're angry. In that passage, because we're going to get angry, don't do it the old self way and how you blow up and go off and do the wrong things. It says, when you're angry, just don't sin. Put on the new self. Rather than being in a situation where you want to gripe and complain and grumble, that's the old self. The new self, it goes on and says, instead, how about you and I give thanks? When your old way wants to exert authority, it says, and you want to be in charge and lord it over other people and, you know, puff out your chest and be the, you know, the man, the woman, whatever, in charge of everything. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, it says, no, no, the new self, you know what you do, the new way? You submit to one another. You submit to one another, and the Bible even says in that passage, out of reverence for Christ. Awesome passage. I really encourage you to read the rest of this chapter, chapter 5, and the first part of chapter 6 through the lenses of our new life that we put on in Christ. As we get ready to wrap it up, I think about what Tom Rainer and Ed Stitzer said in their book, Transformational Church. They said this, we can't choose whether change will come or not, but we can choose whether to embrace it or resist it. God's doing something in you. He's going to carry it on to completion. The question is, are you going to embrace it or resist it? Are you going to join God in that work? Put off that old self. Renew your mind. You start thinking about the things that are truth, that, that are based and rooted in truth and are truth, and you start putting on that new self. And when we go down that path, our life becomes a testimony to the power of God changing us. 
so that, I, I praise God for the last 15 years, but so that I look towards the next 15 years and I can only imagine what God wants to do in the lives of more and more and more and more people who would say, yes, I want to experience the changed life that happened for me the day I got saved. I'm going to put off the old self. I'm going to be renewed in my thinking. And I'm going to think about what God's asked me to think about and focus on truth. And I'm going to put on the new self. Will you do that? Will you do that? Because if you will, 